Look, if if you are a laundromat owner or you want to be a laundromat owner and you are not attending conferences, you know, some of these events, then I would have to tell you to do something else because these events are so critical. Welcome to the Planet Laundry Podcast brought to you by Planet Laundry, the magazine of the Coin Laundry Association. This edition of the Planet Laundry Podcast has been made possible by sponsorship from Speed Queen, the premier brand of laundromat equipment. Laundromat owners, are you struggling to gain repeat customers? Earn customer loyalty at every turn with multiple payment options, 30 plus languages, and convenient alerts through the mobile app. Ready to maximize your laundromat's potential? Visit Speed Queen at go.speedqueencommercial.com slash motion. This is the Planet Laundry Podcast. I'm your host and the editor of Planet Laundry Magazine, Bob Neiman. Uh, today I'm with Allah Albana, co-owner of Bubbles R Us, a five-store chain in the New York, New Jersey area, uh, in which he has been a partner with his father for the past 20 years. In addition, Allah also sits on the board of directors for the Laundry Cares Foundation. Uh, Allah, hey, thanks for being here on the uh, podcast today. Thank you, Bob, for having me. It's, uh, it's my pleasure to be here and share some of my insights with uh, some of the folks out there. So I'm really excited to do this. Yeah, absolutely. I'm, I'm thrilled to have you here today. Uh, and as I mentioned at the outset, uh, you've been in partnership with your father for 20 years now. Uh, however, that partnership almost never got off the ground because I guess initially your dad was considering uh, maybe partnering with someone else. Can you just briefly share that story? What happened? How you eventually got involved with this, with this first laundry project? Yeah, no, of course. I think it's, um, it's an important story um, simply because, you know, in, in, in the beginning, I really had, I never had any appetite to be in the laundry business at all. I knew nothing about the laundry business. I mean, I, you know, I remember growing up in Jersey City, going to the laundromat with my parents to do the clothes and everything, but I never in my wildest dreams would I have thought to enter into the laundry industry. And when I was about 21 years old, my dad approached me and said, look, you know, I wanted, you know, I've been really looking to do going to the laundromat business. And at the time he was looking to partner with a good friend of his. The person he wanted to partner with was not really, didn't have the entrepreneur kind of mentality. He wanted to do more of just get like a good, you know, government job that was paying him, you know, on a weekly basis with benefits and things like that. So literally they, they found a location, they signed a lease. And then, you know, when it came time to look at construction proposals and, and uh, machine quotes and get the financing, that's when the guy kind of backed out and said, listen, this is, this is just not for me. Uh, I really just want to stick to a more of like a nine to five kind of corporate environment. And, uh, you know, at the time, unfortunately, my dad just didn't have the, the know-how or the credit to be able to acquire financing for the project. And so that's when he approached me and he said, listen, here's what happened. There's just something that would interest you. And I, you know, again, at the time, I was like, I don't even know anything about the business, but I knew that entrepreneurship was something that I wanted to do. I, I knew a hundred percent that, you know, I was the opposite of that person that backed out in that this is what I wanted to do. I wanted to run my own business. I wanted to be more involved into something that I have more control of. And, and yeah, and so I did it and I, um, and I, uh, you know, submitted the application to uh, Alliance Laundry Systems at the times. We did the financing. For them. 
and it was that was it it was uh you know from there i fell in love i fell in love with the business i fell in love with the industry the the rest is history exactly. as they say <laughs> well as you had mentioned you had not even been laundromats weren't even on your radar what were you doing before that? What was your what was your background? Uh, you said you were twenty one. Were you still in school? What what were you considering? Uh, I guess what was your background? Yeah, so I actually was still in school, but I was also working full time. So I started working full time in my career, which was in the technology sector. And if if you go back to that time frame, so I was twenty one. That's about that was kind of like in the 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 dot com boom that happened in the late nineties early thousands and so um, at that time companies were hiring people left and right without any experience and so I literally had a full time job working in IT at the age of eighteen and so I was working in the morning nine to five going to school at night taking night courses in Rutgers and so that's that was kind of my 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 career path at that point you know I thought I was going to just be in IT and do technology. And just do that for the rest of my life. And so, you know, it, it and it's interesting because the reason why I say, although I wanted to be an entrepreneur all my life, and it's something that I really was embedded in me, my dad was always, you know, doing business ideas and things like that. The reason why I don't think I ever had a thought of going into the laundromat business was because 20 years ago, as, as I'm sure you're aware, and I'm, the laundromat industry was not what it is today, right? It was more stigma around it that, you know, it was people who had just maybe immigrated to the U.S. who didn't have like a college degree. And it was kind of like what was considered like a low level industry, something that most people really didn't look at. As I always say, it wasn't a sexy industry. It wasn't something that people wanted to do back then, which is why it wasn't on the radar for me. But, you know, again, I'm glad it happened. I'm glad it worked out. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And as you said, the industry has certainly evolved quickly, even in the last few years. So uh, absolutely right. Well, tell me a little bit about the, the father-son dynamic here, because it's not your equal partners. It's not the traditional, maybe second generation type of laundry business. So you both got into it at the same time. So I, who's responsible for what? What type of boundaries have you needed to set to make it work? How do you make it work? Look, partnerships in general are extremely, extremely difficult to navigate around and to make successful. And I think, you know, I'm not going to lie. Uh, it was very, very bumpy road, especially in the beginning. It was exactly what you said, right? It was how did, you know, in the beginning, we really didn't have that delineation of who's responsible for what, who does this, who's the... And there was also that father-son dynamic, right? Where at the end, I was my, I was the son and he was the father. And it was, you know, he was more the authoritative figure. And it took quite a bit of time, you know, years, many years for me to convince my dad that we, you know, the partnership can't work without the both of us, right? Um, I think there was a lot of times where because of, obviously, I grew up in the United States and my dad didn't. Even his, you know, English is not as good and his understanding of the financial system in the United States and how businesses and things like this are, are, are run in the U.S. He always felt like, you know, there, that he was a step behind. And it was finally where we sat down and we really had to sit down and make a clear cut. Like, look, this is what I'm responsible for. Why? Because this is what I know. And this is what you're responsible for. Why? Because you're better at this and this is what you know doesn't make anybody better than the other and it really can't work unless the both of us and so 
what we decided was, you know, I was more on the back end. I would do all the financials. I would do all of the filings for, you know, the state and the city and, and all that. Um, and, and advertising and marketing. And my dad would be responsible for the day-to-day operations. So he would be responsible for, you know, employees hiring and firing, you know, going into London and making sure that things were clean and that, you know, we had all the resources that we needed. And, you know, I think that once we kind of set those very, very specific rules and everybody knew what the responsibility was, it really did start to become a lot smooth. And I think for the past, you know, 12 or so years, it's honestly been amazing. You know, it's really great to have my dad there. It's really great to be a partner with him. And, you know, it's, it's, it makes me happy to know that, you know, my dad who started this 20 years ago is now really you know, benefiting from it and, and living a much better life. And it's, it makes me as a son happy to know that I had something to do with that. So the, the, again, bumpy road, but, you know, I think we stuck through it and we were both patient and it really worked out for the best. Right. Well, you know, it truly is a unique situation, I think. And, and, uh, it's got to be gratifying to be able to, uh, you know, kind of work side by side with your dad, uh, for 20 years now. Yeah. Uh, it's not, again, it's not something where you're just acquiring something, you know, uh, when he's at the end of it and doesn't, doesn't want to do it. You, you did it together. And, you know, like you said, you complement each other and, uh, you don't step on each other's toes. And after you figure that out, uh, it seems to have worked out really well. So, yeah. uh, just an interesting situation, I thought. No, it is. And, you know, one thing I did forget to mention, it's funny, right? This is, um, this is kind of like yeah. an ongoing joke that we have. We've been pretty much dealing with the same kind of group of people since day one, the, the same architects, same contractors. And my architect, um, whenever I come to him and I say, hey, I have a new location, the first thing he always asks me is, did Zenholm, and Zenholm is my dad's name, did Zenholm approve the location? And if I say (laughs) yes, he'll say, I'm not doing it for you. Because that's, it's, it's, to be honest, that was one of the qualities that my dad really brought to the table was, he had that vision. He, he could look at a site and, and based on certain criteria, he can tell me right away, this is going to be great. This is going to be good, but it's going to require a lot of work. And, you know, that's one of the things that he brings. And it's, it's like you said, it's, it's been amazing to work side by side by him. It really has. Right. Right. That's awesome. Well, as you mentioned sites, uh, you currently have five uh, Bubbles R Us laundry locations, you know, in, in New York and New Jersey. What do you look for in a laundromat site? You know, several key factors, obviously. So the demographic is is very important, you know, making sure that you're not opening up in a location where everybody has a washer and dryer at home. Um, so demographic is very, very important, but also some key factors about the site itself, right? So the typical stuff that probably everybody knows, which is parking, right? I think parking is very crucial. You want to have substantial on-site parking. Sometimes you can get away without it. Like obviously, if you open in in Manhattan, you don't need parking. Most people don't have cars. But if you're in New Jersey, in more of a you know, not suburban area, but less less you know, not so much like a city like Manhattan, you really want parking. The size of the facility also has to be adequate. You know, I think the days of smaller laundromats and these little neighborhood laundromats. You know, they're behind us. I think people want more. They want more machines. They don't want to wait. They want to have, you know, a nice spacious location. But, you know, where I think a lot of people don't understand what to look for in a site is look at your utilities, right? Look at 
the size of the utilities that's coming in. Reach out to the utility providers. Hey, look, I'm going to need to upgrade this 200 amp service to 800 amps. What does that take, right? They may say, look, for us to do this, we have to do, you know, engineering and it may cost, you know, thousands of dollars and this and that. And we may get approval, we may not. Same thing with sewer lines or water lines or gas lines. Make sure you're, you know, before you start investing and dumping money and then you find out that, oh, my God, for me to run a sewer line is going to cost me $50,000 and I have to get a county permit or try to find a site where those things are easy to accomplish. Now, you may find a great site where the utility services are going to be a little complicated and may be worth it. But you still want to know beforehand, right? So you can plan accordingly and give yourself enough time and enough money, obviously, to, to facilitate that stuff. So utilities are really important because they're the, they're the heart of our business. So definitely, um, you know, big, big factor for a good location for us. Yes, definitely. What factors when choosing a site are non-negotiable for you? What do you absolutely have to have? Like I said, nowadays, I will not open a location without parking. It's, it's definitely, it's a non-negotiable thing. Um, I have to have it. And then the other thing too, I've noticed that, you know, it, through my experience, I like open space. So when we opened up our location in Manhattan, and obviously Manhattan, you're limited, right? You, 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 you take what you can get in Manhattan. So you can't be too picky. But I remember it was a construction nightmare because we had columns everywhere and we had little, you know, spaces tucked into the corner here. You, I really like now, because all that means is your your construction is going to be a lot more money and you're not going to get the design and the flow that you want. So parking and more of a wide open, unobstructed space is really, uh, is non-negotiable for me. Something that I look for now. Mm-hmm. Perfect. Perfect. Well, you talk about construction, uh, you know, all of your sites are built from the ground up, yes. correct? Yes. <laughs> okay. Why do you prefer that method? Because I like tell me I the like, reasons. I like uh, inflicting pain on myself. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't want to say that. Look, it's <laughs> building a laundromat is by far one of the my my wife always jokes around. She says the next time you build a laundromat, I'm taking the kids and we're gonna go somewhere for six months and we'll come back when you're ready to open. It's stressful. It really is stressful. You're obviously under a time constraint and you're dealing with hundreds of different factors at the same time. But I have a very specific mechanism and design and layout and flow that, and I know myself, I'm, I, I'm not the kind of person that could just look at something that I don't like and just live with it. I have to fix it. So if I bought a laundromat and I don't like the flow and I don't like the design, I know what's going to happen. I'm probably going to tear it down and rebuild it anyway. And so right. I don't want to pay top dollar for somebody else's design if I'm just going to tear it down and then design it the way I want it. Because again, I'm very specific. I think I think the design is an, uh, the design and the flow and, and how you lay things out is probably one of the most important things when you're when you're building a laundromat. So it's a difficult task, absolutely. Um, but you know, people are different. Some people say, look, I'm, you know, I'll buy something as long as it has certain things that I must have fine. And I'll be able to live with the other stuff. But is in my personality, I just, I can't, I can't do it. Right. Right. Well, over the years, uh, you've, uh, you've built nine 
laundromats. So I'm sure you've, you've learned a lot of things regarding that, that construction process and, and what goes into that. So what are, what are some common store construction mistakes that owners should avoid if they're looking to, uh, to build new and to take on that challenge? Be involved. You know, I, as, as stressful as it is, I don't hire a general contractor. And I, I am the general contractor. And, you know, it's not a money thing. I would, you know, you know, the way I work is I'm not a, I'm not a penny pincher. I, I like to let people do what their, ex, you know, what their level of expertise is. It's so it's absolutely not a money saving thing. It's more that in the beginning when we were just kind of handing things off and, you know, we went with a construction company in the beginning and it was kind of like an all they do everything, right? They have their electricians and their plumbers and their contractors, general contractors, and they just sign over the paperwork, make the payments on time, and then they're going to deliver a turnkey operation. But I wasn't happy with that, right? There were a lot of things where they cut corners. There were a lot of things where they didn't do it exactly the way I wanted. And so being involved during the construction process, I'm talking being on site every day, looking at the progress on a daily basis and making sure things are getting done the way you want, it's really, really important. Um, you know, you're, you're dumping hundreds of thousands of dollars in a project like this. And it just, you know, the last thing you want to do is leaving it to somebody else's hands. And you don't want to get to a point where you're ripping things out because they weren't done properly and you're then redoing it again because obviously that's just more time wasted, more money wasted. So being involved in a construction project is, um, you know, a, a very big lesson that I had to learn. And now, you know, in, in the past few that I've built, being more involved has definitely, you know, paid off. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Perfect. Perfect. Well, what are some key elements of the Bubbles R Us stores? I mean, again, you've got five. It's a chain. You know, what, what, are, what are some things that are, are in every store and why are these elements uh, so critical? Is this more from a design aspect or just in general? I'm talking from a design aspect. Sure. Yeah. So this, of course, I have to, I can't take full credit for this. You know, my wife, uh-huh. Amy, she got involved in the first design in 2015, meaning the first design that she did. And what she brought to the table was something that I was never able to bring, which was, you know, taking the typical look and feel of a laundromat and really just accelerating it to something that is more trendy, something that, you know, people of a younger generation are going to really appreciate and be able to, to sit down in there and love it. And I think that design aspect kind of trying to understand the trends of today and trying to understand your clientele, you have to think about it, right? There, there's, there's different generations that are going to come into that laundromat and you want to make sure that you're not just designing it to target a specific generation or and what's, what's even harder is you have to really put aside what you would like from a design. Maybe you, you know, in your home, you like certain colors or you like certain, you know, things when you're designing. You kind of have to get that out of your head and just say, no, I'm not designing my house. This is not a house that I'm living in. This is a facility that other people are going to spend three or four hours a day in. And so... By hiring a design architect, luckily mine happened to be my wife, but I would you know, highly recommend that everyone really 
hires a design architect, somebody who is, you know, fluent in the new trends of today and really making, you know, the um, the design more geared towards the newer generations and things like that. So I think this is a very key, key, you know, um, critical item for the design. Right. Right. Well, what do you try to do with the design of your stores that's a little more unique or a little more current? Uh, I know you've I've got one store, you've got the rolling garage doors, yes. which kind of open up everything and gives it that open feel, which I think is a great idea. What types of things do you try to do or have you done uh, that worked well so that you thought? We, what we like to do in all of our locations, number one, is to try and almost standardize. So meaning, you know, it's not like walking to a subway where everything is exactly the same, right? We do make things different, but we have certain elements that are the same. The layout of the machine, right? So typically what we like to do from, from a flow perspective is we almost try to create two separate stores into one. And what I mean by that is we'll have a bank of dryers on the right and a bank of dryers on the left and your machines in the middle. What that allows to do is basically it almost creates two identical stores. So this one, when you think about it from the flow perspective, when people design a store and they put all of the dryers in the back of the store. So think about what that means for flow. All of my people are now washing in the front of the store. And when they're done, they're all going to the same location in the back to try and dry. And so you're not going to have an easy flow. So that's one of the things that we try to do is always think about the flow. Think about if you were a customer, if you were in that laundromat, and to be honest, this is actually one of the things that I do. So my wife does the aesthetics. I do the flow. I do the the layout. Where am I going to put this? And, there, and part of what I do when I lease a new space is I actually spend a couple of hours walking around and starting to put like empty boxes where I would think, okay, this is where the dryers are going to be. This is, And then I walk around and I act like I'm a customer. I walk into the door. And then what am I going to do when I walk into the door? Where's the office going to be? How far do I have to walk to get to the office? And then from there, so should I put different change machines in different areas? So, uh, you know, thinking like the customer, understanding the flow for the customer and how is it going to feel is extremely, extremely important. You know, you want to design something where you're not creating bottlenecks. You want to design something where people feel comfortable, where they have adequate space and they feel comfortable. And then from the aesthetic perspective, what we try to do is, again, we have that consistency. So there's some similarities. So this way, the brand name is recognizable. So when you come in, you know what to expect in the Bubbles R Us. But we also like to do something a little cool, which is we like to do things that pertain to the area that we're in. So what I mean by that is, for example, when we opened up our Linden, New Jersey facility, Linden, our, our space is literally right behind an airport. And so what we did is we made the design inside with airplanes and air, and, and we did like the airport theme. In our third out location with the rolling door that you mentioned, the garage door, there is a soccer field right across where there's constantly people playing soccer. So we made the design inside about soccer. Our most recent location in Patterson, New Jersey. Patterson, New Jersey is very well known, which a lot of people don't know, for they have like this amazing waterfall park. And so we, you know, we did that. The reason why we like to do that is because we feel that when you're highlighting, you know, a very key component of the community that you're in, people appreciate that. People are always very, you know, 
they, they, they have a lot of pride about where they live. And so when you highlight that, it, it makes them feel happy. It makes them feel good that, oh, you know, yeah, this is, we love the Linden Airport. You know, it's, it's very unique to our neighborhood. We love the, the Patterson Falls. It's very unique. And so you're almost agreeing with them and saying, yes, we do agree. It is unique. And that's why we're including it in our design. And it gives us a little bit of a, you know, the uniqueness of you are, you know, that when you walk into bubbles, there's going to be something about the area that we're in. And so people are always excited to see what it is and what it's going to look like. Right, right. It's it's a great way to kind of make yourself more part of the the fabric of the community and ingratiate yourself to uh, to the community that you serve. Absolutely. And it's it's a respect thing too. Absolutely. Well, I know I know another big part of the design of your stores is it includes uh, childhood literacy and learning spaces. Uh, as I mentioned, you're on the uh, on the board of directors for the Laundry Cares Foundation. Why is this so important to you as a local business owner? This uh, this early childhood learning and literacy and and being there for the kids. This is definitely a topic that's near and dear to my heart. Um, and I think I've said this story on several occasions. But look, I, I'm, I wasn't born in the U.S. Um, I came here when I was seven years old. My dad obviously immigrated here from, from Egypt. And so when I came to the U.S., I didn't know how to speak English. Um, and I remember being in some very awkward situations and, you know, embarrassing situations. And, you know, I see my dad today struggling, um, even today, you know, struggling to people because his English is not that great. And so I see the importance, you know, and, you know, the fact that I came here when I was seven and I was obviously able to, 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 to learn and really comprehend the English language. I see how much, how important it is for people to really succeed and to be able to excel, you know, with, with that language barrier, it's, it's extremely difficult. And, you know, our kids are our future. And if we want them to you know, succeed, this is a, a key component and a fundamental aspect that they must have. If they cannot read and write, if they cannot understand the language of the country that they live in, they're going to be held back and they're, you know, it's going to be an uphill battle all the time. And so from personal experience, this is why it makes it, you know, very important for me because it is personal. And I want to make sure that the same way that I was given certain opportunities and, you know, and, and have been able to be successful because of those opportunities that I want to be able to give that back to the community. And so, yes, the literacy program, you know, if we go back to the non-negotiable, if I have a location where I can't have a kid zone, where I can't have an area for kids to do the literacy um, things, I will not take it. You know, I'll chop 20 machines to create space because that is definitely having something for the kids is extremely, extremely important for me. And, and look, you know, at the end of the day, and this is just, this is just me. This is just my personality. When I, you know, we're all in business to make money, right? There's no doubt. We all want to be successful. We want to have money. We want to have, we want to be comfortable. We want to provide for our children and our family and, and be able to go on vacations and to buy the necessities that we need and things like that. That's without a doubt. Everybody in the world wants that. But for me, you know, there is no more fulfilling moment than when we have a community day. And I see people who come up to me and say, you know, I needed this. This was godsend. You know, I was, I was going through a really bad, tough time and just being able to come here and, watch for free and, you know, have some free food and 
you know, have some fun with the community members really, you know, just lifted me. And, and it's nice to see people doing this. You know, those kind of interactions, those kind of moments are what make it all worth it. And it's, you know, for me, it's, it's, it's really, it's, it's what makes me feel fulfilled. It's what makes me feel happy. It's what makes me, you know, go through those six months of craziness to build laundromats and the headaches and the stress. That's what makes it all worth it. The money is great, but at, you know, honestly, at the end, what makes it all worth it is knowing that you're hopefully impacting somebody else's life. Um, you know, I always say, look, even even if it's you know, out of the hundreds of kids that come into the laundromat and and you know partake in some of these literacy programs that we do, if only one of them is impacted, where you know they you know they grow up and they and they also become successful, and I had something to do with that, that is what. That's really what, you know, makes me wake up in the morning and, and continue to do what I do every day. Right, right. That makes it all worth it, doesn't it? Absolutely. What other types of community outreach in general have you implemented at Bubbles R Us? Because uh, I know that there's other initiatives that you've done. Anything just uh, that off the top of your head that you can share? Yeah, of course. So we, we do, we currently have a monthly program with the Elizabeth, New Jersey Public Library. So what that entails is we have, she's a, her name is Martha. I have to say her name because she's, she's one of my favorite people in the world. She's the nicest person. Of course. Um, she comes to the laundromat every month and she does story time for the kids and she reads to them. She's bilingual. She speaks Spanish and English. So she'll sometimes do it in Spanish and, you know, and then translate it into English. She does arts and crafts with the kids. We get them pizza. The parents are there. And, you know, it's amazing. The kids really like we started off with maybe a handful of kids and now we're probably up to about 20 or 25 kids that come. Um, and we've been doing it for about two years. We always, you know, other things that we do, you know, we we try to do things, you know, like, for example, when Hurricane Ida hit, you know, we understand that a lot of people obviously lost a lot, you know, their clothes got damaged or, you know, even people that don't come to laundromats because they have a washer and dryer. A lot of these people had their washer and dryer in the basement and they got flooded and they couldn't wash their clothes anymore. So we did a free laundry day in all of my locations for Hurricane Ida. And we let people come and just wash and, and things like that. We do things for like around school time. We know people struggle with, you know, getting school supplies, um, you know, getting their kids ready for school. And so we always like to do like a back to school event where we'll give out my wife. She owns a hair salon. So she'll bring her staff and they'll give kids free haircuts and things like that um, before the school year starts. You know, we'll do things so that we give like some gift cards, like staples, so people can go and get um, school supplies for the kids. We did community days. We did one two years ago. So I am from a Muslim background. And so I do fast for the month of Ramadan. So I wanted to do something that was a little different. And what I mean by that is I wanted to do a a celebration of one of the nights of Ramadan where we break fast, but I wanted to do it for everybody. I didn't want it to just be like a Muslim thing where only if you're fasting, no. So what we did is we did a, we called the breakfast under the stars because you break your fast at sunset, but we did it in a park in Roselle, New Jersey, and we just made it open for everybody. You know, whatever your practice was, whatever your religious belief was, just come. And it was amazing. We had people from, from everywhere, you know, and, you know, we had over 500 people in the park that day and the kids, they, they played and we had the food and everybody really enjoyed it. And it was a great way to see 
different people from different religious beliefs and just come together in a community and really talk to each other and learn about each other. And it was, it was really a phenomenal thing. So those are, you know, some of the things that we do, you know, it, it just, it's, 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 it's great. And then obviously we do the laundry cares, the free laundry days and stuff like that with laundry cares. Right. It too, but right. Right. You know, the one thing right. that, wow, what? I'm sorry, go ahead. No, no, go ahead. Um, you know, one of the things that I've noticed is that, you know, you don't have to wait for Laundry Cares Foundation to reach out to you and say, hey, would you like to sponsor a free laundry day? There are definitely things that you can do in your community, um, you know, uh, that you'll be that are manageable, that people can do on their own. And I highly recommend that you do it, you know, even if it's something small. It doesn't have to be a crazy free laundry day where you have, you know, hundreds of people in your laundromat. Do things that are small, right. you know. Um, so I highly recommend doing stuff like that. Great, great advice. And like you said, don't wait and uh, reach out to the community. That's that's terrific. Everything you're doing there, that's uh, that's really amazing. The community uh, community days are uh, sounds sounds incredible. Thank you. So uh, good, good stuff. Well, let me shift gears a little bit. Sure. And talk about the full service aspect of your business. I mean, how is that? Is that growing? Is that something that you put emphasis on? Wash, dry, fold, pick up and delivery. It's certainly, I, I know it's a bright spot in the industry in general. What are you doing at Bubbles R Us with, with that whole aspect of the business? So right now we're in the, what I would call the, the research and development phase, right? This is something very new to me. The, we are, we, we are very, keen on offering, you know, wash, dry, fold, you know, pick up and delivery services. We, we, we currently want do wash, dry, fold in all of our locations. We've been doing it from day one. It's, it's a phenomenal, you know, aspect of the business. Um, you know, I highly recommend that if people don't do it, it's definitely something that you should offer from, from a financial perspective. It's, it's really great, but you know, at the same time, it keeps your employees busy. I mean, let's face it. If you have a self-service coin operated laundromat and you're not doing wash, dry and fold, your employees are just sitting around most of the time not doing anything. So it's really a good way to keep them engaged and keep them busy. But the pickup and delivery is really where I'm in research and development. And, and, and the reason for that is, as I mentioned before, I like to make sure that things are done and done in, in a very, you know, structured and, you know, well thought, thought about and, and researched um, kind of way. And so right now we're slowly rolling out the pickup and delivery service in just a very small subset uh, of where our laundromats are, are located now, just to kind of get a feel for it, understand what customers are looking for, try to learn some mistakes uh, from some mistakes and, you know, really try to perfect the, the, um, the process. You know, I've been obviously... And, and, and not trying to reinvent the wheel, right? So there's resources out there now. There, there are a lot of people who have workshops and, you know, podcasts and, and, and articles and, you know, in Planet Laundry, there's been several articles about the pickup and delivery. And so, you know, trying to really just absorb all of that information and then tweaking it to be, to fit my specific demographic. Cause yes, there are general fundamental guidelines that you have to follow, but then what people need to understand is depending on where you are and depending on your demographic, you have to tweak it to make sure that it satisfies the people that you're serving. Right. It's, it's not one size fits all. Absolutely not. Exactly. So well, you mentioned that you're doing your, uh, your, uh, your research at this point, yes. still kind of doing your due diligence on pickup and delivery. And I, I know you attended last year's uh, wash dry fold uh, workshop in Chicago, which was hosted by uh, CLA. 
Yes. What was that experience like? What did you take back to your business from there? Did that did that impact your business at all? Oh my God. Look, if if you are a laundromat owner or you want to be a laundromat owner and you are not attending conferences, you know, some of these events, then I would have to tell you to do something else because these events are so critical. I went to my first event, I don't even remember how long ago it was. It was in uh, Key West, Florida. And I couldn't believe it. I couldn't believe that there are so many people going through the same problems that I'm going through. And these people have already found solutions and, you know, have practices that have helped them get through these problems. I couldn't believe that there were so many resources, you know, insurance providers, you know, uh, brokers for utilities, machine distributors, parts, so many resources that I didn't know existed. I thought I was by myself in this little island that I had to figure it all out of myself. And that's what it's on me. So one thing I did in the in the conference last year in Chicago that I that this was the first time that I did and I again highly highly recommend this is I took my district manager with me and you know what I wanted to do is you know I, I wanted her to go out there and see it for herself and I wanted her to see that same thing this is a large industry. This is a, you know, this is not just this little mom and pop, you know, small neighborhood laundromat kind of thing anymore. There's a whole community out there with resources and studies and, you know, and PowerPoints and things. And, and I, I will never forget her face when she first walked into a, you know, one of the lectures and she was like, Oh my God, there's like 300 people here. And, you know, I saw her, taking notes the whole time. And then she came back and we had a meeting afterwards. I told her I wanted to have a meeting and discuss. She had like three pages of notes. This is what I want to do. And I want to implement this and I want to implement that. And that person was talking about this. And I, and so that benefit itself, and that's how it impacted my business was a, it motivated my district manager, you know, it really kind of like made her feel like she's part of something a lot bigger than just these little laundromats. And B, it, it helped us, you know, identify some issues that we were not aware that we were going through and then issues that we were aware, but then understand the best solutions for that. So um, it, it's, it, it, again, if you're not going to these things, then I, I, I would tell you maybe it's time to look for another industry because they're, they're, they're crucial. And as, as the industry continues to evolve, and I think we're in a very crucial point right now with the industry. You really want to make sure that you're you're on top of these changes and understanding how to navigate through these different changes. Yeah, yeah, it can definitely be eye opening the first time you go to something like that. It absolutely shortens the learning curve, uh, learning from others who have uh, maybe made the mistakes that uh, you may be making uh, in the future. Absolutely, um, but uh, yeah, I mean, and just the value of the in person networking is is probably a great opportunity, isn't it? Just to just to check with other operators, without a doubt. Like I said, without a doubt, there's there are so many things that that happen to us in this industry that, you know, when you're trying to, you know, handle it all on your own, it's overwhelming. So rubbing shoulders with these people and just kind of talking to them and exchanging contact information and being able to reach out to them at a later time for assistance is is uh, is priceless. It's really it's it's amazing. What do you feel about social media? You you had mentioned, you know, there's a lot of, there's a lot of voices out there. There's a lot of podcasts. There's just a lot more resources within just a few of the, the last few years. So what do you feel about social media outreach and, and how much of that do you do? 
I, yeah, I think social media is very important. I, I, I think, you know, when I, started, I, I was talking to my dad and, and my other partner as well, and we were talking about how early on we literally used to print out flyers and walk around and put them on people's cars and, you know, put them in people's fences and the houses and things like that. And then, you know, things <laughs> evolved, right? And social media, yeah. whether you like it or you don't like it, it's it's a great tool. It's an amazing way to reach a lot of people in a very fast, cost-effective manner and being able to get the word out there. And you will be surprised, you know, the impact that it can have. So I always use social media I, to do, you know, if I'm advertising for a specific event, if I'm, you know, just putting out, you know, uh, different pictures, I, I, I want to, you know, my goal is to actually now offload the social media aspect to a company. This is how I like to do things. I like to be hands-on in the beginning to understand the inner workings. And then I like to offload that task to somebody else, whether it's an employee of mine that I'll say, look, you manage social media. Or if I actually go to an agency and say, all right, you guys manage my social media. But the reason why I like to be involved at first is because I want to know, right? I don't want people to just tell me, do this, 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 and that. I want to ask the questions, but why? Why would I do this? And why would I do that? Um, so that I'm, I feel like I'm, I'm more involved and not just blindly following somebody. But it's, it's, it's a great tool. It's something that's, again, extremely critical and something that's crucial to your business. If you're not on social media, you're going to get left behind. It's, it's that simple. Perfect. Perfect. Well, hey, in, in your opinion, what are, what are some of the leading issues and concerns for store owners today? You know, I, I think the the biggest issue that I've been struggling with and trying to understand how, how, how am I going to really navigate around this is the cost of things. <laughs> you know, COVID really, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. While, while COVID, yeah. believe it or not, and I hate to say it because COVID was a horrific thing, which, you know, obviously impacted and a lot of people lost their lives globally. But for the laundromat industry, I think it really put us on a pedestal. It put us in the limelight. I think a lot of people now, you know, we were in the news and people were always like, laundromats, what are, what are laundromats? What do they even do? You know, and now it's like, oh my God, you know, laundromats are amazing. They're COVID proof. You know, they're, they were, they were able to stay open and things like this. But I think what it did for, as far as, you know, the cost of building a laundromat, the cost of machines, you know, we're talking about things have gone up three or four times. And unfortunately, we're in an industry where, you know, I could raise my machines a quarter. I could maybe raise it two quarters. But, you know, it's not like we can, you know, you go into a restaurant now. And I remember my wife and I, we would go out to eat dinner. And maybe pre-COVID, it would cost us $50 for the both of us, you know, at, at a decent restaurant. Now it's $100 a person, you know, with, you know, like no matter what restaurant you're at, it's going to be a hundred dollars a person. You know, it's just, it's, it's, it's simple. And sometimes it's obviously a lot more than that. So in certain industries, we were able to kind of say, all right, well, the cost of our resources tripled. So, you know what, we're going to triple what we charge. Unfortunately with, with the clientele that we're, we're, we're dealing with, you know, these people are literally living check to check, you know, they're not going to, and this is for them going out to eat is not a necessity. It's a luxury, right? You don't have to go out. Washing your clothes is a necessity. You know, it's not like you can say, well, I'll just skip doing laundry this week, you know, because I can't, you can't. 
And so, unfortunately, we're not able to really meet the the, the same level of you, you know inflation or, or or pricing that has gone up. So it's been a struggle. Um, I just built my my most recent. We just actually had the grand opening this past Sunday for my newest location in Patterson, New Jersey, and the location before that was only three years ago. And in three years, I literally have paid triple for my machines that I, you know, that I paid for my location. And so it's, it's tough because you have a lot more debt services now and you have a lot more costs and even construction has gone up. And so, you know, I I don't know what the answer is. I don't know if there can be some kind of regulation as it, as it comes to, you know, I wish, I wish we can, Go to utility companies and say, look, let's work something out with the industry. You guys, this is killing us. It's one thing if you're raising your utility prices for a single homeowner because what's their electric bill going to go through from $100 to $120? Okay, not the end of the world, but they can handle it. But for us, you're talking about thousands of dollars, you know. And so I wish there was something that can happen in the future where there's some kind of price regulation so that we're not the ones that are, you know, paying for it and everybody else is just kind of making out like a bandits. Right. Right. No, great points and uh, no no easy answers to that exactly. for sure. Where do you see the greatest opportunities for laundry owners in the coming years? And I guess by on the flip side, what are some of the greatest threats that are kind of on the horizon? And maybe you kind of mentioned that a little bit earlier. Yeah, I think the greatest opportunity is obviously this pickup and delivery aspect and the wash, dry and full, full service. And the reason for that is, you know, again, I spoke about this, you know, when, when looking for a location, demographic was always important. Why? Because you wanted to make sure you were in an area with apartments and people didn't have washer and dryers because then you can't service anybody. What pickup and delivery wash dry fold does is it helps it allows us to increase our market share. So now we're tapping into markets that we were never able to do business in before. We're going to the suburbs, we're going to the big, you know, single family homes where people still have washer and dryers, but we're now able to get that market share. So we you know when we talk about really expanding what you currently have and 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 you know tripling or quadrupling what you're doing on a on a yearly basis. Pickup and delivery, wash, dry, and fold is definitely the way to do it. And again, I think COVID helped people be more willing to do things like Instacart and go do my grocery shopping for me. And, you know, so now with that, we definitely have more of an opportunity to really convince people that, yeah, I know it seems crazy, but we will come pick up your clothes and return it clean. I'm telling you, I work with people today customers as we're introducing the pickup and delivery and they're like i didn't even know laundromats do wash dry and fold you know they 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 were like i've never even so they they actually wash my clothes fold it, and we're like yes we we wash the clothes we fold it we put it in a bag and now we'll pick it up and return it to you and so it's it's literally people don't know that it exists so you have this amazing market share that's untapped and, you know, this, this is where I see, you know, the, the biggest ability to expand and really gain a lot more business. As far as threats, of course, what I spoke about, you know, obviously the, the rising costs. But there is something that scares me a little bit, which I think that, you know, as with anything with COVID really putting the spotlight on laundromats, I'm a little bit afraid of oversaturation in the market, uh, in the laundry industry. I'm, I'm, you know, I speak to doctors 
engineers, real estate, everybody that is already well established and making tons of money, but they all want to be in the laundromat industry. Everybody that comes my way, you know, they look at me and they say, hey, I want to be in the laundromat. And I say, look, the, the problem is that it's not that I'm worried that too many people are going to open up, is that I'm worried that people don't understand what's involved in owning a laundromat. People think like I'm just going to open this laundromat and it's just going to run itself. It's, it's like very, very incorrect misconception about laundromats are no hands, you know, hands off, easy. They're easy to run. You don't have to be involved. It's not true. And what happens is when people who are inexperienced and don't know what to expect open these laundromats and then they start to realize that this is a lot of work and I'm not doing what I wanted to be doing money-wise, they usually go to the old school method of slash my prices. You know, let's just cut prices down to get more customers into the door and then it kills the market. So the, the, the oversaturation of inexperienced operators is, you know, a threat that I'm worried about, which is why I encourage people go to workshops, go to conferences, learn the business, even before you invest, go to some of them, really understand what's involved before you just jump into it so that we don't have this, you know, crazy bubble of laundromats popping up everywhere with people who don't really know what the industry is all about and what the business is all about. Right. Well, what, what does it take to be a successful laundromat owner today? What key traits? In 2008, the, the first laundromat that we opened up in 2003, we, we sold it. Uh, 2008 was the, you know, the, uh, the financial crisis the housing crisis. And so what happened was a lot, people had a lot of money. Same thing like what happened now with PPP and people have all this money and they want to do something with it. Same thing in, in that time. And so sure enough, we weren't looking to sell the laundromat, but a broker came to us and they said, Hey, listen, I have somebody that wants to buy the laundromat. And we said, okay, but we're not selling. And so he kind of like, like it was almost like a scene out of Godfather. It was like, look, I'm going to make you an offer you can't refuse. And literally it was exactly that. I mean, the number he threw at us, we were like, oh my God, is this even real like this? And so we went ahead and, and we did it and we sold it. And, you know, the person we sold it to, we, we stayed on board with her and we told her, look, we'll give you some advice. We'll be on, we'll be on site with you for three months and we'll make sure we walk you through everything. And when we were doing that, she kind of had this attitude like, hey, I know what I'm doing. This is not my first business. And, and we said, no problem. You know, do however you want to do. We're just we know the area. You know, we're just trying to give you some advice. Unfortunately, she shut down in nine months. Literally, my landlord called me and said, hey, do you want your laundromat back? And I said, what do you mean? He said, you know, the woman I bought it from you, she came and she dropped off the keys and and we still have that location. So it wasn't that the location was bad. It was that it was poorly managed. And so to go back to your, to your question, a very key and important trait to have, not only in this industry and in anything, is ask the professionals, ask the experts. Don't ever think that you know it all. Again, going back to conferences and workshops and literature and podcasts, the minute you get to a point where you feel you don't need anybody is the minute you start to fail, right? They always say, you know, you want to be the stupidest person in any room. 
the minute you feel like you're the smartest person wherever you're at, you're doing something wrong, right? And and then to, to, on top of that, your staff, whether you like it or not, are a key component of your success, right? A lot of people don't feel that way. I'm not saying that a business will fail if somebody leaves or quits. I'm not saying that, but you know, I, I another personal experience that I had really, which really taught me a lot. I, I had a, uh, you know, somebody in my family that was very ill for a long time. They were in a coma for a few months. And so I spent three months literally living in a hospital because this person, you know, was, was very close to me. And so at the time, and so I literally spent three months in a hospital, I would sleep in the hospital. I would be there every day. And so I got to see how emergency rooms work and, and, you know, ICU units work. And what I noticed was the doctors would come and do their rounds for about 10 minutes in the morning. And what they would do was they would rely almost 100% on what the nurses would tell them. And so I was talking to the nurse and then I was talking. So a, a very good friend of mine happened to also work in, 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 the, uh, in, the, in the ICU unit there. And he was telling me, he said, listen, these nurses are with the person, the patient, 24-7. We can't be there 24-7. These nurses are literally with that person 24-7. They know if he turns a certain way and does it, does he feel pain? When he eats, is he able to swallow? So what they tell the doctors is really what, what it determines the decision that the doctors make. Give him this medicine or let's do this procedure based on what the nurses tell them. And so the same thing is true for the laundromat business. Your staff is there all the time. They're listening to the customers. They're understanding what's happening. Listen to what your staff tells you. Don't ever feel like, oh, I'm better than my staff. I'm the boss, I'm the manager, I'm the owner. Who are they to tell me? If they come to you and they say, hey, listen, I think maybe you should do this, right? Don't automatically just say, you know more than me. Hey, I built this place from the ground up. No, listen to them. And I actually, you know, one of the things that I do is I, I, I program my own machines. And the reason why I program my own machines is because I put myself in the space of my customers and I actually go and wash clothes at all of my laundromats to make sure that the cycle is right, that there's enough water, that the clothes are coming out clean. But one of the things that I always do is before I finalize a program, I will get my staff and I will say, hey, do you guys like this program? What should we do? Should we make the main wash longer? Should we make another rinse? What do you guys What do you guys feel? Always get feedback from your employees. Always get feedback from your staff. Trust me, they will know more about the customer than you ever will. And so it's a, a key trait is put your ego to the side and really, you know, ask ask people around you, ask the experts. Yeah, no, getting that feedback is critical. And uh, as you mentioned, uh, your staff are your eyes and ears. Uh, they have to be because you can't be everywhere at once. So uh, uh, that's that's great advice. Just a few more here because I know you're busy and I, I really appreciate your time today. No, no worries. What advice can you share with potential investors today that maybe you wished you know when you were first getting into the business 20 years ago? What, uh, what advice uh, can you share? Don't be afraid to spend especially in the beginning. You know, I think when somebody when somebody opens up a business, a lot of their deciding, you know, their decisions are factored based on dollars and cents. 
And I think that it is really, really important to be willing to put money in. And at the end, it, it may take months, it may take years, but it will pay off. You know, my landlord, when we had our first location, he looked at me and he said, what are you doing? And I said, what do you mean? He said, you, you've had this location now for eight years. It's clearly successful. You guys sold it. The person went out of business. You took it back and it's still successful. You clearly know what you're doing. And he said, what are you doing? What You should be opening up a laundromat every year. And, uh, or, and he said, if not, you've, le- you've literally just learned a skill that's going to go to waste. And so that's exactly what I did. I, since then, he talked to me. He had that conversation with me in 2010. And since then, we literally opened up a laundromat almost every year. And the, the only way that I've been able to do that is by investing, investing in myself, investing in my business. So today, I, hi- I have a district manager. And that district manager is not cheap. Uh, I pay a lot of money. I have a maintenance guy that does all of my maintenance and repairs my machines and makes sure that the place is clean. Again, not cheap. I have a store manager at every single store that gets paid a lot more than the other staff. I give commission for the wash and fold as an incentive. All of these things, when you're tallying it up, what does it cost me in a year? You're talking about north of three, four hundred thousand dollars, right? So I could look at it and say, "Hey, that's three, four hundred thousand dollars that I can have in my pocket." But if I didn't spend that money, there's no way I can have five successful laundromats. There's no way I could have built nine laundromats in the past twenty years, because you're just going to limit yourself, and you're going to pigeonhole yourself, and you're going to just take on more than you can handle, and you're never going to be able to expand. And really do the things that will help your business accelerate to that next level. So don't be afraid to spend. Don't be afraid to hire people that don't be afraid to delegate. I know as business owners, sometimes we feel like nobody could do it better than us. It's not true. You know, People can do things a lot better than you. And you just have to understand what they're good at and, and, and let them, you know, do what they're good at. Right, right, right. Hey, last question for you, Ella. Where do you see yourself in your laundry business in the next five years? Oh, man. You know, I think so the next five year, and this is an important question. I think it is important to always have, you know, kind of a, a, a two to five year idea of where you want to be. I have one more location that I want to build in which I've already acquired the property. So this is why, you know, this is what I want to do. But I really don't want to build any more locations for my for myself anyway. And so where I see myself in the next five years is I want to focus on the pickup and delivery. I think that with my background in technology, um, this is something that could be a great challenge for me. You know, I, I feel like I'm at a point where I can build it. I can make it successful. I can make it work, you know, as far as just a regular self-service laundromat. You know, I've been doing it for so long and it's no longer, not that it's not a challenge, it's a challenge without a doubt, but it's a challenge of a physical challenge. It's, it's doing stuff. I, I want more of a mental challenge. I want to be where I was 20 years ago when I was looking at the laundromat industry and saying, oh my God, how do I, how do I do this? You know, I want to start to get into the wash, dry and fold pickup and delivery where now I'm dealing with these large warehouses with these machines that I've never worked with before that do the folding and do the washing. I want to deal with the logistics of drivers and be, you know, I want to challenge myself and I want to, and I think that to be able to leverage 
two industries that I've worked in for a long time, which is the laundromat industry and technology, to be able to bring those together and you know help help my pickup and delivery is is really something that I'm I'm really looking forward to. I also want to you know I, I've been thinking about doing some consulting services for people who want to get into the industry that just don't have the expertise and, you know, offering my services and, and saying, look, you know, I'll, I'll help you build it. I'll, I'll hand over the keys. I'm not a general contractor, but, you know, I'll take you through all the steps. I'll make sure that the mistakes that I made and have learned from you don't do and do it that way, because I think the industry is going to continue to grow and there's going to be a lot more laundromats coming up. And I, and I want to help people to be successful and do the right thing. And then I also, by doing that, I feel like I can also showcase and show people how important, you know, community, you know, outreach programs are in the laundromats and you know, making sure that you incorporate that in your business plan. Um, so this way, we're not just building laundromats, we're building, you know, community centers. Um, and that's, and so that's why I want to get involved with that. I, I want to, I want to do a lot more, you know, in the next five years as well with Laundry Cares Foundation and, and do more, try to focus a little bit more on the charity side of things and, and just do more and more with that. Right. Cer- certainly a lot uh, to come uh, in the future years. Yes. Uh, for sure. That was everything I had. Is there anything I didn't ask or maybe something that you'd like to get out there and just share with with people uh, regarding your journey and what you have going? Uh, anything I didn't ask? No, I mean, I think, look, I think we, we covered a lot. I, I would just, you know, we did just kind of just, you know, just ended with, you know, just reiterating a lot of what I've been saying before, which is like anything that you would invest in, you know, if I came to you today and I said, hey, you know, give me $100,000 so you can buy the stock. You know, if if you have any kind of intelligence, you're going to say, well, wait a minute, what does the stock do? What does this company do? Just give me a second, you know, give me a few days. Let me do some research and find out. Is this a good investment? You know, do the same thing with laundromats. Do your do your due diligence. Um, ask the people who know, attend workshops, attend conferences, you know, you know, before you jump in, really understand the industry really, really well. And if you're already in it, continue to learn. The industry is changing. It's evolving. It's going to continue to do so. I think the next four or five years are going to bring tremendous amount of evolution and change within the industry. So make sure that you're not left behind. Keep yourself among smarter people than 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 who you than yourself and and people that know the industry. And and yeah. And but at the end of the day, it is a beautiful industry to be in because of the changes that are happening. And so it is exciting. And I really, uh, you know, I look forward to to working with some of the people in the future and to seeing some people in conferences and talking to them face to face. Perfect. Allah, thank you so much for your time today. I, I truly appreciate it. And uh, it, it was a pleasure chatting with you. Thank you, Bob. Same here. Really happy uh, to be here. And thank you so much uh, for having me. Thank you. Thanks for joining us on our podcast today. If you haven't done so already, please be sure to subscribe to Planet Laundry at planetlaundry.com. And don't forget to follow us on social media at Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, and YouTube.